Today, um, we're on number four, and Pastor Haley did such a wonderful job last week with Elf, and the week prior, Pastor Jeremy did such an amazing job. I didn't, I wasn't here because I was ill, but heard it on the, the, the internet, um, and we started this with It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, strangely enough, um, it was Chloe who pointed out, did you guys coordinate this? Because every one of these movies that we've spoken on has been shown on Saturday night before we... That's right. I don't know how that happened. We really, truly, honest to God, did not plan it that way. And it's just crazy because it shows you how popular all these movies are. The Christmas, A Christmas Carol, of which I'm going to speak today was shown last night. Now, the one that was shown was the 1999 Patrick Stewart version, and I'll be honest, it's the better one. I didn't have that one as an option. It wasn't available. And so I went back to 1984 to the George C. Scott version, which probably is a little darker in the cinematography, the filming, because it was a dark time in English history. The novella, which is longer than a short story but shorter than a novel, the novella, A Christmas Carol, was written by Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens had grown up in a very, uh, a very proper, wealthy English family, and his father had been imprisoned during uh, the time of his childhood, and because of that, uh, his wealthy upbringing quickly turned. He had to serve in a blacking factory where they actually blacked iron tools. Um, this is the early Industrial Revolution, and so we have the beginning of movement away from an agricultural society into an industrial society. It's, people are leaving the country in droves and moving to the city. London, particularly, has an enormous population explosion. Um, Dickens was so moved by the abject poverty of children his own age that he saw working in the factories, that he decided in order to be able to bring some kind of change to society, that he would have to write a short story, a little novella, that would be lasting, that would bring change in the way people conducted themselves in terms of social customs. Now let me give you a little bit of history here. Forgive me, this is what I do off and on during the week in various locations is, is teach on history, and I love it. And if, I, if it's boring to you, I apologize. I'm only going to take about five minutes here in the beginning of this to tell you this. The Industrial Revolution was a, was a moving away from a self-contained environment where basically people raised everything they needed to live, a sort of a, sort of a self-sustaining uh, ecosystem. And they were moving to the cities, and everything had seen a differentiation or the division of labor, uh, you, didn't, you didn't milk the cows and gather the eggs and, and bring in the wheat and make the bread because you lived in a city now and you had bakers and shoemakers and candlestick makers and so on and so forth. And the, the factories were, were burgeoning and puffing out smoke on a regular basis and coal was driving everything and there was this huge surge in the economy in a capitalistic society in Britain and children left the farm and they were working in the factories 15-hour days. And children and people were dying. There was no such thing as workers' compensation. There was nothing, there were no benefits and no guarantee of work. If a man was injured and he had a family of six kids and they're living in a slum somewhere and he loses a hand in the factory, 
then he has nothing to call upon to help him. There is no government aid. There is no workers' compensation. None of these things had been established at this point in society. And Dickens saw all of this, and he realized that in order to be able to change the miserliness and the greediness of this growing capitalistic culture, that he was going to have to write something that would impact the hearts of people and touch them uh, in an area where they were starting to grow and change. And that is the celebration of Christmas. It had really never been done before. The, the people who founded our nation, the Puritans who came in the Plymouth colony in the Massachusetts Bay colony, banned it because they said it was of the devil which should give us at least pause to stop and consider all that we do. And that was before the cult of Santa Claus had even developed. Okay, I don't want to offend anybody this morning, but this is history. And history doesn't, is not discriminating. It just tells the truth, hopefully, from an objective standpoint. At least that's what it's supposed to do. Um, as a matter of fact, the whole, all the stuff that we basically believe about Santa Claus developed from a Coca-Cola advertisement which came about in the later 1800s. So there is not all of this other, we don't have Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all the things that we have today that I think are just piled on distractions to remove us from the reality of what Christmas is about in the first place. And, and I know it's cliche, but I'm going to ask you to look at your neighbor and say, so go ahead and get ready. Here we go. Jesus is the reason for the season. Now, Christmas had begun to be practiced in Western Europe, and England was catching on. And this is 1843 when Dickens publishes A Christmas Carol. Uh, as a matter of fact, it had just become popular. They were writing all these songs that they called Christmas carols, and people were singing them in the streets. We hadn't had all these Christmas carols prior to this point. There were a handful but everything begins to explode during this period. As a matter of fact, this is when the very first greeting cards were sent during Christmas. Christmas cards had never been developed yet. And uh, English society under Queen Victoria, called the Victorian period, is examining whether all of this stuff that's going on in society is legitimate or not. And so they're wrestling with, with all of these Christmas practices that, are, that we now see as really just a whole bunch of traditions, and we think that it's been going since the manger, and it hadn't. It's only about 175 years old, okay? Which is pretty, that's, that's really still yesterday's news when it comes to a historical perspective. Are you following me? Uh, and so Dickens writes this famous novella. And as he does, he centers it around a character that we've all come to know it's, it's, it's ingrained in our lives. Everybody knows who Scrooge is. And if you meet somebody and they're negative and they're down, you automatically call them an Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, when, when, when the movie opens up, it is when we first see this very fastidious, miserly, penny-pinching, um, loveless, ungracious, non-compassionate gentleman by the name of Ebenezer Scrooge, played by George C. Scott in this 1984 rendition. And there are a couple of black and white versions. There's a couple of animated versions. So, I mean, if you want to get on YouTube and watch this or just stay tuned to, to your TV, I'm sure that it will play again sometime during the holidays. And so this has become part of our, our psyche. We, 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 all of this is woven into how we think Christmas is supposed to be. And let me just say... 90% of what we do has nothing to do with the Bible. 
and I'm not fighting it. Every man should be convinced in his or her own mind. You seek the Lord, you draw the line somewhere. There were no Christmas trees yet in history at this point. Trees are just starting to come on the scene. 1843, they're decorating them. They're singing Christmas carols. They're sending Christmas cards. And Scrooge basically responds in the opening scene, the first couple of minutes, and he says, Bah humbug. Everybody say it. Say it with me. Come on, here we go. Bah humbug. That's the way everybody knows the famous words from Ebenezer Scrooge. Strangely enough, Ebenezer is, uh, Dickens was investing something powerful in that name because Ebenezer is the Old Testament word for God helped me up to this point. Thus far has the Lord helped me. And, and Dickens is very, very motivated by biblical ideas in the culture. And so he's showing us somebody who's been very blessed by the grace of God but doesn't have the ability to see it. The fact that he's worked and earned all of these millions of dollars or pounds, British sterling, at this point, God has helped Ebenezer in his very name. Thus far has the Lord helped me. And Ebenezer doesn't have the ability to at least have the gratitude to thank God for the breath in his lungs and for the strength in his body and the ideas in his mind. Are you hearing me? How many of you know if you give a gift to the Lord, it's because God gave it to you in the first place? Let's really just get our priorities straight this morning. As, as we roll, go ahead and give the Lord praise. Amen. As we roll through this, I want you to see that there is probably not a better representation to show the lack of peace than in the life of Ebenezer Scrooge. Now, he gets visited by the ghost of his dead business partner, Jacob Marley. Jacob comes to him and he is dragging chains and heavy boxes with him. And because I don't have time, I could only pick four clips. I had six to start with and I thought, no, I don't want to make this an hour. So I, I cut some stuff down and whittled it. But if you have a chance, Jacob Marley comes to him and Scrooge asks him why he's pulling all these chains and he says, I forged these all in life, link by link. And he was talking about how in eternity, his reward, his punishment, Jacob Marley, is now to drag in chains all of the avarice and the greed that motivated him when he was alive. And so it's an attempt to give a wake-up call to Ebenezer, the one whom God has helped. And I believe this is a picture of the Spirit of God that is moving and drawing and reaching out to every sinner on the planet. And so here comes Jacob Marley telling him, before the night's over, you're going to be visited by three spirits. The ghost of Christmas past, some of them say the spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas present, the spirit of Christmas yet to come. Some call it the spirit of Christmas future. So it is with that this morning that as we begin, uh, we want to talk a little bit about peace. And Brenna gave an amazing, excellent, accurate, biblical picture of what peace is. Peace is the Hebrew word shalom, which is actually a blessing involved, saying peace be to you. And peace is not just the negative absence of conflict or, stir or turmoil or strife, but peace is the fullness. It literally means wholeness, soundness in mind and body and health and relationships and prosperity, the blessing of God. Prosperity not in the sense in having untold billions or trillions of dollars, but prosperity in the sense of just an overall spiritual, physical, emotional, financial 
relational prosperity, of the blessing of God on your life. And you know what? When we really come down to it this morning, everybody in this room, no matter what your current struggle, we are prosperous. We are blessed. Just living in the United States of America, you are blessed. And we should stop and say, thank you, Lord, for the, thus far have you blessed me in my life. Even the struggle you have, you still have breath. So God is going to give you the ability to, to rise up and battle that struggle. Come on, somebody. And so it is the peace of God that is a gift that we're going to talk about this morning. And with that, we look at our first clip, which is called Looking Backward to History. So if you would give attention to the screen this morning. I told you, Ebenezer, they can't hear you. How happy they all seem. That's right, they do. Yes, well, it's time to move on. Come along, Ebenezer. You know the way. I could walk it blindfolded. Your school. I remember. And it's Christmas Day. There's a boy in there, neglected. The boy is deserted by his friends and his family. His mother is dead. His father holds him a grudge. Why does his father hold him a grudge? She died in childbirth. His birth. Weep for the boy if the tears will come. He has his friends, even on this day. From his beloved books. His Alibaba. <laughs> Dear old honest Alibaba. And the Sultan's groom turned upside down with a genie. But not a real child to talk to. Not a living person. Robinson Crusoe, not real. <laughs> and Friday, and the parrot with green body and yellow tail, not real. He may do this boy. Let us see another Christmas day. When you were a youth. Fan. Fan! Bring you home, dear brother. To bring you home. Home. Home, little fan. Yes. Home for good and all. Father's much kinder than he used to be. He spoke to me so gently one dear night that I was not afraid to ask once more if you might come home. And he said, Yes, you should and sent me in a coach to bring you. You're quite a woman, little fan. And you, you are to be a man now. And never come back here. Come along, we mustn't keep father waiting. There, boy, there. Stand still now. Let me look at you. They haven't been overfeeding you, that's certain. I've, I've grown, I think. Yes, most boys do. Fan has told you you won't be moving back here. Yes, sir. It's time you made your way in the world. I've arranged an apprenticeship for you. You'll move into Mr. Fezziwig's establishment in three days' time. Three days, Father? I'd hoped we'd have my brother home for longer. Longer? Three days is quite long enough for both of us. Don't you think, Ebenezer? 
years. Quite long enough. All right, you can obviously see that if you were raised, and maybe somebody in the room was, by a father that, that was, was that disconnected and lacking compassion and austere, that it would affect how you grow up and the kind of person that you would become. His mother died in childbirth when he was born, and his father blamed him and hated him because of it and sent him away as a young child, made fun of by kids in school. What is the point of the story? Why, why would I bring this up? And I, I want you to see that today there are people sitting in the room around you that still bear the marks of wounds from a childhood where things were not as perfect and wonderful as we have a tendency to look at through the fantasy of Christmas eyes. There are people who've been through the loss of loved ones, as Brenna shared this morning, and to experience that, to bury a son... It's out of the order of, 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 of nature when, when we have those that we've raised go before us. And then to have still have peace in the midst of that and to have a love for God and not be literally sidelined and bitter and angry and resentful. And yet this is the very thing that, that touches Ebenezer. He has seen this thing just broil and roil in him for decades, and it has produced the kind of man that he's become. And this is the story that we all have to realize, that we all have things that happen. We make plans, and life happens. And we have circumstances that we cannot change. And we are hurt by people that we love. And things happen that we wish would have never taken place in our histories. And those things have come together to culminate to form us into the person that we are at present, but they don't have to determine who the person that we will be in the future. Now hear this. Look at the scripture this morning. Every one of us has to look backward into our lives, into our history, because only the peace of God can cover that. We've all done things we shouldn't have done. We've had things done to us that shouldn't have been done. And those do not have to. They may have made us, our history, into the person that we are, but they don't determine our destiny. Somebody say amen. All right, look at this. But those who still reject me are like the restless sea, which is never stilled, but continually churns up mud and dirt. And so you see this broiling effect of a storm-tossed sea. And this is what the Bible says. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. And Isaiah chapter 57, a very, very telling passage of Scripture that shows us what every person, every man, every woman on the planet deals with in their own hearts. And it's not peace that can be found in the bottom of a bottle. It is not peace that can be found by popping a pill. And all of the things that we have that rob us of our rest and steal our sleep and take our joy and give us anxiety in its place only Christ, only God filling up the gap in our heart is going to give us the kind of shalom, wholeness, blessing, prosperity in our lives. Somebody say amen. amen. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see this point is looking outward to reality because this is what Ebenezer is about to see. As he's visited by the ghost or the spirit of Christmas present, he's going to see the condition of those poor children in the mines He's going to see the circumstances of his underpaid, overworked Bob Cratchit, his employee, and little tiny Tim, who is at the point of death, has some kind of disease that's not allowing him to grow, and so he's, he, that's why he's called Tiny Tim. And so this morning, let's look to the second clip 
looking into reality. Mother, you've outdone yourself. Is it all right, then? This Hurry, is Bob Father, Cratchit's home. I can't wait. Haven't we forgotten something? Lord, we thank you for the bounty you have placed before us. We thank you for this day of love and joy. We thank you for allowing us to be together, to share with each other and with you the fullness of our hearts on this special day. Amen. 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 What? You say something? No, no. No. Oh, uh, I, th I thought I... Yeah, no, I said nothing. Alice. Uh, very small goose. It's all Bob Cratchit can afford. Me. Are we all served? Yes, sir. Then let's begin. And a Merry Christmas to us all. A Merry Christmas to us all. And God bless us, everyone. Tell me, Spirit, will he live? I see a vacant place at this table. I see a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No. No, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my species will find him here. But if he is to die, then let him die and decrease the surplus population. You use my own words against me. So perhaps in the future you will hold your tongue until you have discovered what the surplus population is and where it is. It may well be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Ebenezer had bought into the idea of the hardline, non-compassionate kind of idea that every man basically gets what he deserves and didn't have the ability to see with compassionate eyes that a number of people in society get a lot of things they don't deserve. And so Dickens writes this story to literally jar the church at this time in history into doing what she should have been doing all along. And when we look at history, we find that probably there, there, are, there are periods of time that the church has arisen and been with great humanitarian provision. Let's tell the truth this morning. If it hadn't been for the Baptists and the Catholics and the Methodists, we wouldn't have the hospitals that we have all over this whole nation. If it weren't for Christians that arise immediately to go to the need of folks that are in the midst of a crisis, whether it's a tsunami or an earthquake or a volcanic explosion or a tornado or a hurricane or whatever, uh, then there wouldn't be help 
because the government cannot do all the need that is demanded upon it. And it was at this point in a, a cold period where the love of many had grown cold, as the book of Matthew says. And I believe that's not just for the end time. I believe it has happened in the end of every sort of an epoch or period or an age or an era. And so Dickens writes this story and literally this becomes what it becomes woven into our whole Christmas idea of helping people during Christmas, something that we ought to be doing all year long. Don't shout me down. Come on, somebody. And so, so Scrooge, extendedly, the, these three visits take probably 20 minutes apiece, and I'm only giving you like two and a half, three-minute clips. And he visits the mines, and he sees the poverty. He sees the homelessness. He sees everything that is in dire need, and he realizes how outrageously blessed that he is. Not that he has to give it all away, but that he ought to have a little bit of generosity toward the needs of his fellow people. And so as we take an outward look at reality in our own lives and the current things that we face, let me share with you a promise this morning that is found in the Scripture. This is what the Bible says. Jesus says, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace. Everybody say peace. That you may have peace in me. That's shalom. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And there is this amazing awareness of the investment of God into our lives that in the middle of, while everything's shaking around us, He has given us what Hebrews calls a kingdom which cannot be shaken. There is an anchor of our souls that holds us in the middle of a storm. Somebody say amen. amen. And I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful that it's, that's in the name of Jesus. That's in the love and the heart and the life of the Son of God Himself. This morning as we move toward the end of this, I want you to see with me the third clip this one is called Looking Forward into Ebenezer's Potential Destiny. Now, when we look forward, we realize that the way we can see where we're headed has everything to do with the path that we're on. I wish I could take time to tell you the story of my son Drew when I gave him a little iPad for his graduation and what happened with a boss recently who gave him the same book that I loaded on there. And if I told the story, it'd take 10 minutes. But basically, the boss tells Drew, well, have you read the book? When Drew said he laughed when the boss gave him this book. And it was what we taught on last fall, I guess. It was uh, Principle of the Path. And it's the idea that the path that you're on is going to take you to a destination. Think about where you're traveling. Think about who's traveling with you because it's going to determine where you head up. Direction determines destiny, not your ideas or your thoughts or your intentions or what you hope to accomplish in life, but the direction that you're moving and going is going to determine your destiny. Ebenezer has been on a path. He's been on a path. And to, to give you the little punchline of Drew's story, I loaded it on his iPad when he graduated college and he never read it. And he sat down in the, 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 uh, the, the conference room with a boss which was talking about giving Drew a very significant promotion and putting him on the fast track to basically VP status in this company by the time he's 30. And so he hands him the book and he says, read this, and it's the principle of the path, and Drew chuckles and Chad asks him, why are you laughing? He said, because my dad gave me this on the iPad when I graduated college. And Chad said, well, have you read it yet? And Drew said, no, not really. Chad said, well, do you think maybe the Lord's trying to tell you something? Because he's working for this Christian company that I, I prayed, I, I grieved and sought God and got him into where he's got a mentor that loves Jesus. So it's just an awesome place. 
The path determines where you're headed. And so look, let's see where Ebenezer is headed. I know it, but I know not how. Tell me, what man was that whom we saw lying dead? Before I draw near to that stone, answer me this. By the things you have shown me, the shadows of the things that will be, are they the shadows of the things that may be only? will foreshadow certain ends. I, I accept it. But if those courses be departed from, the ends must change. Tell me that is so by what you show me. I will not be the man I must have been but for this visitation. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Good spirit, your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Say that I may change these things by an altered life. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me that I may sponge away the writing on this stone. Oh, spare me. <laughs> spare me. <laughs> My own room. I'm alive. Oh, thank you, Spirit. I will keep my promise. I will live in the past, present, and the future. The spirits of all three will strive within me. Oh, heaven and Christmas time be praised for this. I say this on my knees, Jacob Marley. On my knees. Obviously, Ebenezer has had a real wake-up call because he visits a number of people who have actually broken in and robbed his stuff, and they've given it just among the common rabble, that which he referred to those that were without in the culture. Uh, he sees people arguing over his stuff, over his bed sheets and linens and curtains and some things that were important to him, and he sees all of these people making fun and passing all kinds of crass comments. In the midst of that, he says, is there no compassion? Is there no tenderness? 
And he realizes that what he's asking for, he's never himself been willing to give. And so the, the spirit from Christmas future takes him to the graveyard and he sees his own name on the stone. The very famous Dickens quote came out of that, that scenario right there, and that is, the courses of men's lives determine their end. But if the courses change, then the ends must change, which is that same principle of the path. And so I, I believe this is a picture in what Dickens was trying to communicate is that when the gospel penetrates a person's heart and life, now he doesn't quote scripture, but remember he's writing to a, a secular London population, very moved and motivated. And if you watch the whole movie, there are numerous times where they're, they're, they're quoting scripture in the home of Bob Cratchit, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They're always praying in the name of Jesus. And so these things are very much evident in the Dickens films but when he's dealing with Ebenezer, Ebenezer himself is not a churched man. And the most of the population of London uh, is probably in a place similar to where Ebenezer is. And so he writes it in this kind of a fantasy scene. And he cries out, realizing his life has to change. And so let me just say, how does that relate to us today? Let's bring it to a biblical place. Let's bring it to where the gospel impacts our lives. This is what the scripture tells us. In the book of Isaiah, the high and lofty one. This is God's description through the mouth of Isaiah. God's description of himself. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity. The holy one. Everybody say the holy one. The holy one says this. I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. Say those two words. Everybody say contrite and humble. All right. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with what? With repentant hearts, with people who will turn to change the course because if the course changes, the end itself must change. Next one says, I have seen what they do. God is speaking through Isaiah. I have seen what they do, but I will heal them anyway. How many of you are thankful for God's compassion on your life that he's seen what we do? But he will heal us anyway. I love that. <coughs> he says, I will lead them. I will comfort those who mourn, bringing words of praise to their lips. May they have what? Abundant peace. There it is right there. May they have abundant peace both near and far, says the Lord who heals them. This is the promise of the impact of the gospel. This is not just a, a phantasmagorical Christmas story of the, the visit of, uh, of specters and ghosts and spirits from the past, present, and future, but it's a picture of the life of a man who realizes he can't go on living the way he has, and this is what the gospel does to us. When we engage people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ, since the 1840s, 1843, A Christmas Carol was published, it received immediate praise and critical acclaim. It has never since that day been out of print. It is continuously being reprinted. It is a Dickens novella that has made millions upon millions upon millions of copies and dollars and pounds sterling because people resonate with this, realizing that if we have the real spirit of Christ, which is what we should talk about when we talk about the spirit of Christmas, then we ought to live that, not just one special day of the year, but out of our hearts every day of our lives. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Last clip, and we're finished this morning. I hope you've gotten something out of this. This one is basically Ebenezer's change. And I've not given away the movie. I encourage you to watch it at some point. Probably the 1999 version, Patrick Stewart, is the better one, a little bit more relatable to today. 
but this is Ebenezer's looking upward, and now he's going to leave a, a lasting change and legacy behind him. Let's watch. How he treats this child. Spirits did it all in one night. Well, they can do anything they like. Of course they can. Um, hello, my fine fellow. Hello. Do you know the poulterers in the next street but one uh, on the corner? I should hope I did. Intelligent boy, remarkable boy. Um, do you know if they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging there? What? The one as big as me? <laughs> Delightful boy. <laughs> Pleasure talking. <laughs> the one as big as you. It's hanging there now. Well, go and buy it. Yes, go and buy it and bring them round so that I may tell them where to deliver it. Come back with the man, I'll give you a shilling. Come back in less than five minutes, I'll give you half a crown. <laughs> now watch I this. myself. So much to do. This is the I joy of the Lord. Time. I was light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. <laughs> As a drunken man. <laughs> Merry Christmas to everybody and a happy new year to the world! <laughs> Did this be a prank, boy, or box your ears? He was in that window, I swear it! Oh, uh, there you are. This boy here says you wish to purchase this turkey here. It's quite right. Here's your half crown for a service well rendered. Thank you, sir. Splendid boy. Now, there is an address and the price of the turkey. You'll take this fine bird to Bob Cratchit in Camden down. The directions are all written down. You leave immediately this very moment. Yes, sir. You'll say only that it comes from a friend. And it must be there in time for Christmas dinner. It will be, sir. Good fellow. Here's a little something for your trouble. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, not to offer you. Hey, sir. Merry Christmas. Wonderful day. Oh. So grant us all a change of heart. Good morning. Merry Christmas to you. Like angels. Yes, exactly. You sing excellently well, yes. For heart is I who thank you for that glorious music on this glorious Christmas day. <laughs> Good morning, gentlemen. Oh, gentlemen, oh, good morning, gentlemen. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, Mr. Scrooge. Yeah, that is my name. I fear it is not pleasant to you. Allow me to beg your pardons, and please accept my pledge to the poor and needy for... Uh... Lord bless me. My dear Mr. Scrooge. 
argue quite uh, serious. If you please, and not a farthing less. There are a great many back payments uh, included in that, I assure you. What can I say to such generosity? No, don't say anything. Oh, dear sir. <laughs> will you come and see? We will. Oh, we will indeed. You, I'm very much obliged. Thank you. Fifty times. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Those two old guys there had been turned down where he said he wouldn't give them a shilling in the beginning of the movie. And so they hear the, of the overwhelming generosity. And this is what happens when the gospel impacts a life. This is, this is why when, when people say, well, I trusted Christ, and they don't have a smile on their face, you can go, okay, something didn't take. Okay? I'm serious. When you are born again, your heart is filled with joy. When you are born again, you have peace. When you are born again, there is a nature change. God puts something in for the old and takes out the old and puts in the new. Now, granted, we have to be renewed in our understanding. We have to be discipled to know what it means to grow in Christ. But there should be an immediate joy that overwhelms your heart and a lifting off. Like he said, I was nine years old when I went to the altar on a Sunday night at 2nd Street, at the First United Pentecostal Church, under conviction, hadn't lived long enough to have any real serious sin in the terms of actions going on in my life, but I felt drawn by the Holy Spirit. Went to the altar in a Sunday night service, and I prayed. And when I went home that night, my folks asked me, how do you feel? And guys, I'm going to tell you, this is what I said. The only thing that I could describe, I said, I feel like what I saw my, my mother using on her new grandbaby's bottles was that bottle brush that goes down inside the bottle and scrubs all the crud out, you know, and pulls all the, the, the all caked up milk on the inside of a baby bottle. I said, I feel like that a brush like that has run down on the inside of me and cleaned me out all on the, on the inside. Now, I don't know how the weight of sin could have impacted my life at nine like that because like I said, I hadn't done a whole lot, but there was still born in sin. It's what we call in the scripture original sin, that we were born with this weight on us. And I know that I know that I, there is no denying it. There is no, there, no atheistic uh, attempt to try to undo what I believe. You want to know why? Because I've experienced it. I've been there. I know the presence of God. I know the joy of the Lord. Do I have it every day? No, I have to make a choice to decide to say, God, I put my trust in you and I walk in that. But I know that I know that I know that I know. The night that I knelt at an altar that I didn't just say words, I was born again. And so this morning I want to tell you that's the true meaning of this whole holiday season in preparing our hearts in Advent for Christ who is to come. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer.